0: Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Morris Bean. I'm one of the elders here at Cross Point Fellowship. I'm also a full-time in full-time counseling ministry here in Greenville where I've done biblical counseling since 1985. It is my joy to be with here, with you here this morning as I fill in for Pastor Kyle. In his most recent series of sermons, he's been preaching through who we are as the church rich teachings indeed I want to continue that thought today and next week of who we are as individuals as well as part of the church we're gonna be examining points of truth in the book of Jude let me invite you to begin to turn there you'll find Jude at the end of the New Testament the next to the last book In a moment, I will read the first two verses of this letter from Jude to the believers of the first century church and to us today. First, I want to spend just a few minutes in prayer as we prepare to hear from God's word to us this morning. So join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we acknowledge your presence with us this morning and we thank you. We know we do not deserve your presence, your love, your grace, and your mercy. But because of your love, you have chosen us and continuously make your presence known to us. I thank you for every person who is here in person and for those who are joining us here this morning online. I ask your favor and blessings on each family represented here today. Father, I ask that you continue to grow your church here in Greenville, that your name would be made famous throughout this community because of the outreach of faithful believers throughout Greenville today and in this coming week. Father, we thank you for the blessings you bestow upon us through the Holy Spirit who leads us to the truth of your word. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you're able, I would like to invite you to stand as we read the first two verses in the book of Jude. There's only one chapter in this one short but powerful epistle written to his church. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want to do this morning in this book is to identify the person that God used to pen these words. Jude identifies himself in this way. First of all, he says he's a servant or also translated bond servant or a slave of Jesus. Now, while we're removed somewhat from the concept of slavery in our culture, we've got a history of slavery in our nation. So we can understand a little bit of things that we've heard in history classes of what happened. To be a slave or to be in slavery is a person bound in servitude to another human being as an instrument of labor, one who has lost his liberty and has no rights. The word that Jude uses here in this passage, though, is a little bit different. It's also translated bond servant. A bond servant was someone who voluntarily put themselves into servitude of another person. He didn't have to or she didn't have to, but they chose to. Now, in that day and time, in order to distinguish between a slave and a bond servant or a bond slave, the bond servant would lean against the doorpost or a post, and they would take an awl and a hammer and mangle the earlobe. So that distinguishing mark was with them forever. It couldn't go away. Now, we don't know whether Jude actually marked his ear or not, but he proclaims that that is who he is. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he identifies himself as the brother of James. Now, there's several Jameses in the New Testament story. So which is the brother, which is the James he's speaking of? It's unlikely that he's speaking of the apostle James. Because in verse 17... He refers to the apostles in the third person. Jude 17. But you must remember, beloved, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here Jude speaks of the apostles in the third person. If he was the apostle Jude, he would have included himself in that. But he speaks in the third person. So what we believe that Jude is actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. That's the traditional view that we hold. In Matthew 13, God's Word says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And like his earthly brothers... Jude did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah prior to his resurrection. In John 7, verses 3 through 5, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he sees to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers Believed in him. Now, please notice here also, Jude does not think it important to tag on to that family relationship. He didn't say, Jude, half-brother of Jesus. And don't we do that sometimes? If we're introducing ourselves in a gathering, if we know somebody, many times we'll say, well, I'm, I'm their friend or I'm the brother or I'm sister or whatever. Jude doesn't do that. He says, in a spiritual connection, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In fact, it could have been even more appropriate if just a few minutes ago, if I would to introduced myself this way. I'm Morris Bean, bondservant of Jesus Christ. That trumps everything else I said, doesn't it? What would our world be like if we as believers introduced ourselves that way? There would be some open conversations as a result of that kind of introduction. Now that we've identified the person that God used to pen these words, we can dig into the first part of this message. Jude uses three distinct descriptors in this first verse as to his audience, who we are. It says in verse 1, Jude, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So that first descriptor is called. Those who have been called. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite verses in, or favorite words in Scripture that we are called. I want to begin this examination of the word "called" with the truth revealed in Scripture that God is the active agent in every aspect of our life, including our salvation. Romans eight twenty-eight through thirty. We know that those who love God, all for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the first firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Continue in Romans in verses chapter 9, verse 21 through 26. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, and that what if is also translated sometimes since? Since God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles. Now why would God Specifically, call us to salvation. We are called by God because we are counted by him as those who are beloved. We are beloved by God the Father. The word here is the word agape, which points to an unconditional love. We see that in one of our favorite verses. Probably the first verse I memorized, maybe the first verse y'all memorized in Vacation Bible School when I was a junior, not just junior, junior, but in the junior class in the Baptist church. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the love of God that directs this. In 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. You see, our salvation was not something that I decided on. It's not something that you just decided on. It wasn't happenstance, not a bit of luck, and it's much more than just a fortunate circumstance. No, our salvation is the result of God's calling us. In his sovereign majesty, he has chosen surgically each one of us for salvation. He picked. And he drew. Jesus himself said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that day, on the last day. Now, back to my earlier mention that Jude being a voluntary bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, while it is absolutely true that God is the active agent in our salvation By calling us, we also have a daily choice that we make in following Jesus in our lives. We do have the choice to honor him in our obedience and our following his design and his word, or to dishonor him when we choose sin. We have that ability. In that, we have a choice to continue to be an active bond servant of Jesus in our daily walk. We consciously do that. But remember this. Our eternal salvation is once and for all set in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to pay the price for our sins because God called us. The second descriptor I want to focus on in this verse in Jude is the word beloved. In his calling, we are beloved by him. Romans 9, 25 says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved I will call beloved. Once again, we see who the active agent is. It's God the Father. He called us because of his love for us. He loved us first, called us, and then we are loved by him now and for all eternity. In Ephesians 5.1, we're also told, be imitators of God as beloved children God's love for us has a condition on us we are to be imitators of God to follow his direction to be obedient to his commandments to share the gospel with others around us what word is it we share we've already said it this morning John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now each word in the scripture that's translated to the English word L-O-V-E, love, is a verb. It's an action word. These words are not speaking of warm fuzzy feelings not speaking of emotions of any kind, but of an action. The five words we see in Scripture translated as love, agape, phileo, storge, epithemia, and eros. All of those are verbs. It talks about what we're to do for others and toward others, toward God. They're all verbs. So what did God then do for us His beloved. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. To be able to have a reconciled relationship with him for eternity. Sealed completely. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because we are beloved by God, we then have the ability to love Him and each other as well. The next descriptor I want to focus on in this first verse of the book of Jude is the word kept. In verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, there's at least two aspect about, two aspects about those who are kept by Jesus. The first aspect of the word kept can be seen in the Jewish wedding tradition between the bride and the groom. After the betrothal, characteristically, the bride would move into her fiancé's father's house. So the father of the groom would take care of the bride. He was literally keeping her for his son. You beginning to see a connection here? (laughs) It's there. The groom was to go and make all the preparations for the wedding including getting the house ready. When all was set in place, he would return to the father. The father had kept the bride safe from all things in the world, sometimes even safe from herself. And he would present the bride to his son in the wedding. The groom would claim his bride, and that is what God the Father is doing for us, the church. We're being kept for the Son. So what is our groom doing? He's getting everything ready. You know, it's pretty common as I'm talking to people, and we talk about the difficulties in life that we're going through and the hard times and... We, we can stop and say, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray that earnestly. We want him to come back. I'm ready. But when is he going to come back? When everything is ready from his perspective. At that time, he comes back. Everything is put in place and the father presents the bride, the church to the groom. Jesus Christ. We're kept by the Father for His Son until Jesus comes back for us for all eternity. Now the second and also an important aspect of the word kept is this. This comes from Vine's Dictionary. And in this context, the word kept means the continuous preservation of the believer, us, as a single complete act without reference to the time occupied in its accomplishment. We are kept. That is our salvation, our election, our eternal life is preserved in God by a one-time act, Of Jesus on the cross that is a fact for all time we then demonstrate that belief by our public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior you see the permanence here the eternal promise that God provides us through the life of Jesus here on the earth the death of Jesus the burial of Jesus the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, the 40 days that Jesus remained on the earth, appearing to over 500 believers, and then the ascension of Jesus back to the throne room of heaven, sitting on the right-hand side of the throne of God, where even now he sits as our mediator. Jesus' decision to pay the price for our sins is that one time act. And it's that one time act of, on his part to keep us for all eternity. Now, following those three words, Jude offers a blessing with three characteristic words offered as that blessing. In Jude 2, he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy is the first word of the blessing. It's defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I think you would agree with me that God, in his majesty, in his sovereignty, in his dominion, has the ability to look at each one of us and go, and we're gone. He has that ability. But he chooses to pour out his mercy, in his holiness, in his active agency in every aspect of our life, He has the absolute authority in the the universe to dole out punishment toward the evil in this world, us included. However, because of his love for us, because we're called, beloved, and kept, he demonstrates his mercy toward us. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. So mercy can also be defined as the outward manifestation of pity. Mercy is the act of God as he gives us what we do not deserve. His love is poured out to us, is his mercy. The second word in this blessing then is peace. Peace is the resulting experience in the human heart. The word peace describes the harmonized relationship between God and man. We are no longer at war with God, we are at peace with God. In Jesus' own words in John 14, 27, He described to his disciples that he was leaving them and he was leaving them something. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives gifts do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And God speaks through Paul in the letter to Philippi about his promised peace as we follow him obediently. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and by petition with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Notice here, God did not promise that he'll give us all the answers that we want. He did promise a peace that goes beyond understanding. It's a peace that goes beyond what we would have if we had all the answers. It's beyond that. The third word of the blessing Jude gives us follows mercy and peace. And it's the word love. As I said before, this word love is the Greek word agape. And it's used here to denote the type of love that God has for us and that we are to learn to have for him. And being expressed to one another as fellow heirs of the grace of life. The word agape is a verb, as I said earlier. What kind of love then is this? Once again, we see the best example of this word in that passage. I'll go once more today to John 3:16. For God so loved the world. The way he loved us is this. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can experience the love of God. And having experienced this love our, ourselves... We have the ability to then love others without any expectation of anything in return. Because that's what agape love is. has no expectation to it. Now Jude offers this blessing in verse 2, but I want you to notice there's one other little word here, and it's that the blessing be multiplied. Not added. You see, God chooses the words in Scripture very carefully. This wasn't just an accidental word. God placed this word in that for us to understand. How much greater is a multiplied blessing than an added blessing? If God adds something to me, then I've got it. But it may end there. No. God multiplies that blessing. It works like this. If I teach one person something, now there's two of us. If he teaches another person, now there's three. Tradition. But if I teach one and each one of us teach another, now there's four. It's multiplied. Think about it this way. If I teach eight and those eight teach eight, Now you've got 64. See how much bigger multiplication is? And that's what our blessings are from God. They're not just added to us, they're multiplied in us. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 helps us understand this a little bit. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, to wrap up this morning, let me again emphasize the three main points of this passage. First, we're called by God. Secondly, we're beloved by the Father. And three, we are kept by the Father and the Son for all eternity. Bow with me in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for these truths revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you spoke so many years ago and they are still absolutely true today. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins so that as your called servants, you could have a restored relationship, we could have a restored relationship with you. Father, I also thank you that we, the bride of Christ, are kept by you for your son, our bridegroom, for all eternity. Father, I pray for this fellowship that your truth would go forward from this place this morning to this community, and that they will be faithful to demonstrate your love to a lost and dying world around them. May they strive to be salt bearers to a tasteless world and light bearers to a darkened world. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.